Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to another edition of the programme. We've got Bernie and we've got Sadie taking your calls this morning, 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text or WhatsApp as well to 0862-103-103. And of course, on a Thursday, it means uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us later on. So if you've got a pet question, you can get those in uh, throughout the uh, day. Now, we are all waiting for tomorrow for the announcement to be made as to we know we are exiting level five next week it'll be next Wednesday it looks like we'll be fully exiting level five going to level three but what kind of a level three is it going to be and there's much speculation as to what's going to happen and what's not going to happen Neffet met yesterday they've made their recommendations now to government government will mull over that today and tomorrow I think there's to be a cabinet meeting around one o'clock tomorrow and then it's expected that it'll be around six o'clock tomorrow that Micheál Martin will address the nation and tell us exactly what December is going to look like in uh, Ireland but no doubt they'll take on board new figures that have come out that show are showing that private homes are still remaining the main hotspot for COVID-19 transmission. Uh, for last week 650 outbreaks were attributed to private homes and obviously that's going to have a knock-on concern because we're Everyone's looking forward to Christmas. What happens at Christmas? We all gather in households and there's a fear if it's already a hot spot for COVID-19, what's it going to be like at Christmas? New figures show that while the whole of, while the number of households, household outbreaks fell from 954 to 652 in the space of uh, a week, it continues to be the scene of high levels of transmission of the virus. Now, it's expected that the figures will mean that Neffet will be tempering the expected loosening of restrictions around gatherings involving different families who will be able to meet up over Christmas and there'll be strong warnings about the risk involved, particularly for vulnerable people. I think across the water in the United Kingdom, they're recommending that no more than three households can meet up together for to celebrate Christmas. 
Are we going to go down the same route here? Well, as I say, we're going to have to wait until uh, tomorrow. The figures that came out yesterday, sadly, six more lives lost to uh, COVID, which is making the month of November is going to be another very significant month for the number of deaths from uh, COVID-19. The daily cases also up slightly on the previous day. 269 yesterday where they were 226 uh, the day before. So that again would lead us to believe that the virus is stalling. We had hoped that that would fall uh, further. I, I don't in any way think by the 1st of December, because there's only a few days left, can it reach the 50 to 100 a day mark, which is what Neffet had hoped and the government had hoped that if we could get the number of new cases to 100 by the 1st of December or ideally even lower, then we'd be able to open up a lot more for Christmas. But I, I can't see. Where are we at? We're at the 26th of November today. So we've only got a, a, a about a few days left between now and the December 1st, whether there will be a huge something happens in the next few days. I can't see it. But anyway, let's wait and see. It looks like we've kind of stalled again. Uh, the lower the number when lockdown is lifted, the less chance of a serious escalation in the spread of corona uh, virus, which obviously then would lead to tougher restrictions being imposed again in January. And I know that's already been spoken about. I know even the Taunishta, Leo Varadkar mentioned that, that we may need another short, sharp lockdown in January. And nobody really wants that. I think that is the last thing businesses are going to want to hear. Businesses are looking forward to getting the announcement tomorrow that they can open next Wednesday and they will just be hoping leave us open and leave us stay open. It's so difficult on businesses, this opening and closing and opening and closing. So they certainly won't want to hear, look, we'll open up for Christmas and then she will have another lockdown in January to pay back for the amount of cases we're going to see over Christmas. By the way, the number of cases for Cork yesterday was at 42. We seem to be stubbornly stuck around kind of the 40 uh, every day. We need to, it's low, it is low, but we need to bring that down even further. Then looking for the number for hospitalisations of people. They were down yesterday. That's a bit of good news. Uh, 260 from 289 earlier in the week. Intensive care went up slightly and they're the ones the, the ones that you really worry about because intensive care is where if you're going to lose a life it's it's more likely going to be in an intensive care setting from COVID-19. So it increased yesterday to 36. I think it was 33 the previous day. The figures for outbreaks last week also show the number of schools almost doubled. They went from 10 the previous week. There was 19 outbreaks in schools. Now again, remember an outbreak in the school might be just two pupils. Or it could be anything as bad as it was in Glamour where they've been forced to close the schools or close the one particular Gwail school in Glamour. And then workplaces and hospitals, they also saw a number of outbreaks of the virus, but it is still the biggest number of outbreaks. The main hot spots for transmission of COVID-19 is in your own house. It's in households. They still are way too high. And then there seemed to be a bit of a not quite a disagreement going on between the Taoiseach and the Taunashta yesterday about whether people would be told you can't travel to Northern Ireland. Now the Taoiseach 
almost immediately dismissed a warning which had been given by the Thornishta that travel to Northern Ireland could be stopped and this obviously is to do with the high level of COVID cases across the border. Leo Varadkar had been speaking with party colleagues and he had said that the public could be advised not to travel to the north as levels of the virus remain much higher in the six counties than it does uh, here in the south. However, a spokesperson from Micheál Martin was very quick to move to rule this out and said the possibility of travel restrictions between the north and south had not been discussed in any way in the context of easing the current level five COVID restrictions. And the government now are moving to finalise this phased easing of restrictions starting from next week. And it is expected that families of three households will be allowed will be allowed to gather to celebrate over the Christmas period. Now, is that going to cause problems for some families? I was straight away thinking if you're only allowing three households to gather and say traditionally everybody goes to mum and dad's house uh, for Christmas if mum and dad happen to have four children that would mean four you know four adult children with their families if everybody congregates traditionally at at granny and granddad's house that would mean four families coming to one household that would be five families and under the restrictions they're saying only three is it going to be difficult for some families to decide who can come and who can't and as we've already been saying uh, all week Shops, the non-essential shops will be opening, gyms will be opening, hairdressers will be uh, opening and uh, personal services, they will all be the first. And of course, the quote from the day yesterday from Leo Varadkar when he said, haircuts and shopping before nights out. So certainly restaurants are not going to be opening and the gastropubs are not going to be opening next week for sure. For sure, Michal Martin said level five restrictions had worked, but reopening hospitality, he said, that's the difficult one and that's where the risk is going to be. And Micheál Martin was speaking at a meeting of his parliamentary party. He says the government will move from level five to level three, but it will be level three with modifications. He's also hoping and some of our listeners will be pleased to hear this, that people will be allowed to go to Mass and that other religious services will be possible around Christmas. That's going to cause, I imagine, an amount of headache for some of our local priests because it's looking like Mass will go ahead probably from next Wednesday. People will be allowed to go to Mass, but it will be with the restrictions of only allowing 50 people into the church that's fine on a weekday Mass. It's already been a struggle on some of the Sunday Masses. What is it going to be like at Christmas? Because at Christmas, people who might not go into a church from one end of the year to the next, there are people who have a tradition that they go to Mass on uh, Christmas Day. And I think that's going to cause huge problems if parishes are told that they've got to limit the number, they have to stick with the 50 even on Christmas Day and no matter how many Masses wasn't it Father Tim Hazelwood when he was talking uh, with us a few weeks ago on the programme and when we were talking about Christmas and he was saying on a normal Christmas no matter how many Masses he would put on the churches would still be packed there would still be people standing there would still be people outside they, they never can have enough room on Christmas Day for the amount of people that want to attend now you now put into the mix Covid restrictions and you tell priests and you tell a parish you can only have 50 inside in the church even if they were running Masses every hour on the hour for the 24 hours of Christmas Day it won't be possible to facilitate everyone so I don't know how they're going to get around that and I know from having had priests on the programme since restrictions were brought in they don't like the idea of giving tickets remember at one stage it was speculated about that you'd apply to your parish 
and you'd get a ticket and if you were in almost like a draw and if you were lucky enough to win a ticket you'd be a golden ticket you'd be able to go to mass I can't see parishes doing that either so it'll be very it'll be a very tricky situation and and we'll watch keenly to see how they're going to get around it what kind of advice are they going to give to parishes and how then are priests going to interpret that advice and how are they going going to manage it it really is going to be a a difficult one the Taoiseach said that a strong emphasis will be put on people doing their bit this is over Christmas by way of personal responsibility in how we all behave during the month of December now it seems the Taoiseach at his meeting with his his party was confronted by a number of his party colleagues who were calling for pubs to be allowed to open, also wanting clarity to be given to the hospitality sector. And seemingly Leo Varadkar was also pressed on the issue of pubs at his own party meeting. There is a groundswell of support from a lot of the rural TDs as well. Because even when I was was reading up some stuff last night and I was thinking about the pubs and, the, and I was thinking about the comments that had come in yesterday and we were very much divided down the middle, we would have a cohort of people who listen to this programme who say it's absolutely madness to even think of opening up pubs. We're living in the middle of a pandemic. We're doing well. We will be in a much worse lockdown after Christmas if we allow a free-for-all in the pubs. And then on the other side of that, we had a lot of commentary in yesterday from people who were talking about small rural pubs and the role that they play in their local community for people who don't have a lot of places to go and socialise. People who maybe live on their own, elderly men who like to go to the pub, who see it, they might only go down for a pint or two, but it's a way of interacting with, you know, neighbours that they mightn't see if you're in a very rural area. You know, your nearest neighbour could be two miles away. So going down to the pub on a Friday and having a few drinks and, you know, chatting to people, maybe playing a few games of cards or whatever it is. And that has been taken away from so many people. And people were hoping that at least for the month of December, for Christmas, that that will be back and that's going to be gone. So it's, I can understand where the rural TDs are coming from because they're probably inundated with their constituents to say, speak with your leader if it's Fianna Fáil, speak with Micheál Martin if it's Fianna Gael speak with Leo Varadkar and get them to open up the rural pubs because there's a big difference between a small rural pub that at the best of times will probably only have 10 or 15 people in it. Big difference between that and say a very large super pub inside in a city or inside in, in a large town. They're, they're chalk and cheese. But, but, but then you can't have sort of one rule and say, OK, we'll just open the rural pubs and we'll close all the urban ones. So it's to try and, uh, try and weigh it up and get the balance uh, right. But it does seem, I think the publicans themselves seem to be accepting that they're not going to be open, uh, certainly for the rest of this year. And who can even say when in 2021 they will be reopening. Your thoughts welcome to 1850 John Paul, that's not John Paul, he's on a week off. We've got Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 says the government needs to clamp down on the banks and make them go easy on pubs and businesses that have been forced to uh, close. Yeah, because remember yesterday there was a lady contacted us whose son is a publican in a very small, small rural pub and she was saying like how devastated he is and particularly with the news that it doesn't look like he's going to be able to open because he doesn't have a kitchen, he doesn't have a resident chef, not in a position to build on a kitchen and bring in a resident chef and obviously there wouldn't be business in a small rural area uh, to keep it going anyway. And she was saying he's got a huge 
mortgage and she's worried about his mental health issues and if he's got a huge mortgage he's got the banks breathing down his neck as well so I do think that's a, a good and a valid point from Liam John and Cove thanks Liam John and Cove says the pubs and the off licences need to be kept closed it's the only way we have of getting rid of uh, Covid and so many people see it from that side that we're in a pandemic we just and we know what who's the wasn't it who was it said that Covid's best friend is alcohol coronavirus's best friend is, is alcohol and then when I mentioned that private homes are remaining the main hot spot uh, for Covid-19 transmission a listener says hi Patricia would people ever stop visiting each other's houses I know of people that are visiting families almost on a daily basis and they just don't seem to care it's also very hard to tell a neighbour to mm, off when they call uh, to the door. Uh, 185333103. And can anybody help Liz here, please? Hi, Trish. I'm trying to contact Leia Healthcare on their 021 number, and there's no answer. They say they're sorry to have missed my call and they're closed. We'll be open Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. But sorry now, today is Thursday. The same goes with the 1890 number. I'm wondering, is anybody else having the same problem? Anybody else having problem getting through to uh, Leia Healthcare? Let us know. Or is there another number that Liz should be trying? I'll see if um, uh, the girls can... Uh, make a few calls and see if we can find out what's going on with Leia. It seems strange if they've an answering machine saying we're open Monday to Friday 8am to 7pm and this will be one of the busiest times for all of the health insurance companies because we're coming to the end of the year and renewals and I would, if you were, if you had contacted me to say you did delay getting through I would say it's just their busiest time of the year but to see that there's nobody answering the calls does seem a bit strange so let's see, has anybody else noticed that or has anybody else got advice for Liz please how do you get through to Leia Healthcare Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. And we've just had a response for Liz who is having uh, difficulty getting through to Leia Healthcare. Uh, they have literally just posted that they are currently experiencing technical difficulties and their phone lines are down. Their team are working to resolve it as quickly as possible, but people can check, cover, make changes, renew your policy uh, on your members area, leahhealthcare.ie. But that's the reason that the phones are not being answered. 1850-333-103. Now, the Rape Crisis Network have said that increased demand during COVID-19 restrictions means that rape crisis budgets needs to be increased by almost a third just to stand still. Nolene Blackwell, CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, joins me. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, and you're welcome. What, why do you believe the pandemic has led to an increase in calls to the Rape Crisis Centres? Yeah, so it has it has uh, been a sort of a slow burn in relation to sexual violence. So a funny thing has happened, or it has been noticeable, not just in Ireland, but actually throughout Europe and in other parts of the world as well, where there are facilities, that people have been slower in reporting sexual violence than they have been in reporting other forms of intimate violence. So for instance physical violence, there was an immediate surge as soon as the restrictions happened. For all the rape crisis centres, there are 16 of them around the country, all of them found that in fact during the height of the restrictions there wasn't much of an increase. Um, And that we all put down to uh, perhaps 
people didn't have the opportunities. There were children around. That people had to be minded. Uh, there wasn't the privacy. People disregarded their own concerns while they looked after other people. Um, and we had, certainly in the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, um, in the centres in the Rape Crisis Network, and also in the Rape Crisis Centres Forum, which is a part of a group that we're part of, in all of them, uh, we noticed people who had to kind of try and find a space you know, it wasn't even possible sometimes when you were out walking to get a space during the height of the restrictions. But then, once those restrictions lifted a bit, particularly from June onwards, we have seen, in Dublin, we have seen an increase of one third in the number of people who are looking for assistance. And we put it down to people who delayed reporting uh, incidents that happened during the worst of the restrictions, sometimes because people blame themselves for being in the wrong place or for associating with somebody, which, of course, they, they don't have to do at all because the only person responsible for assault is the person who carries it out. Uh, but they may have delayed then. But also there is the reality that anxiety was heightened in everybody yeah, during, yeah. The, uh, during the height of the restrictions. And what that did was, you know, if you have kind of a, a something that's healing, you have a wound perhaps that's healing or something you could get along with. And then an additional strain is put in it. So we certainly on the National 24 Hour Helpline and in the centre are hearing from people who's, uh, where that general air of anxiety and pressure on them has led them to say, I have to get help for the sexual violence that was done to me. And, that's, and that is in itself uh, uh, in itself is good news. I mean, are you yes. seeing better reporting? I mean, are more women, women feeling confident enough to come forward and look for the help that they need? Literally, we have never had as many people looking for help. Uh, and we don't mind that at all. We're delighted that people are coming forward. The only problem is the length of time then, then that they have to wait for service if we don't have the funding and the facilities to do it. And I think, Patricia, that is exactly right. And I think it's maybe something that w- we need a bigger state response to. We need a recognition that we're never going to go back to the place where people were told, get on with it. Don't bother about the trauma. Don't bother about the psychological damage done to you. Don't go and look for help because that's not a good thing to do. I think people now recognise that a sexual assault can cause serious harm, can cause harm, and that people are entitled, like any other harm, they're entitled to get help for it. So I think going into the future, government needs to realise that this was something that was hidden, that was silent, but that was suffering and the lid has been lifted on the box and we're going to need a much bigger recognition and response because in in some ways the good news out of all of this is we know, all the rape crisis centres know, anyone dealing with victims of sexual violence know that healing is possible, know that if people can get the support that they need and sometimes it's very limited support. Sometimes it's longer, but sometimes very limited. If they can get it, they can get the tools that they need to get on with their lives, to to manage, to deal with it, to confront it, and and in fact to empower themselves in relation to it. So it is well. It will be well worth the investment when when we get that investment in something which traditionally people didn't even talk about. Dublin Rape Crisis Centre celebrated 40 years last oh, wow. November. Wow. And, 
And when it started, the people who started it couldn't even say their names if they were giving an interview. They were all unnamed because they would get such hassle. I mean, I have the privilege of being able to talk to you on the radio about this and to and to get a hearing and for you to go, yeah, that's that's something that's that's relevant, that's newsworthy, that's worth talking about. So we've come like we've come from that place where literally the the brave uh, women who set this up, who were visionary, really, um, setting up a helpline, which got something like 80 calls in the first year, uh, 79, I think. And, and we took uh, about 14,000 contacts last year on the National Helpline. But you know what always you know? baffles me, Nolene? I mean, if we if we had a break into our house or our car yeah. was stolen, we'd report it immediately and everyone would be talking about it and say, God, that's desperate yeah. that happened to you. What is it that it's so difficult for a woman to be able to report a sexual assault? Yeah, and and I will say this, it can be even more difficult for a man to report it as well. And that is because of the ways we have set up our society. We have, we the difficulties can will still be that, first of all, people blame themselves. Now, in truth, you blame yourself. You might blame yourself for leaving the key out of your leaving the key in your car as well, but you'll still report the car being stolen. Uh, so people blame themselves. Other people blame them. Uh, the the position, uh, the, the the investigation is, I suppose it's not the same as your car because it's an investigation into your most intimate actions. Uh, and it is, uh, it, it is really very often to a huge breach of trust because the person who steals your car is very often an unknown person. More than likely, the person who rapes or sexually assaults you is known to you. And they could be a member of your family. They could be a friend. They could be someone, you know, someone you're in a dating relationship with. They could be your employee. So once you're reporting, you have that sense that you are, you know, you're taking a step against somebody known as well. So there we, we have made over the generations, over the centuries, we've made it real hard to report sexual assault. And part of our job right now, I think all of us who are advocating in this area, is to press, to make, first of all, to for everyone to recognise that it's criminal. And I mean, we even saw last week that, that it's still very hard to prosecute somebody who takes an intimate image of you and, and shares it. Uh, with with other people without your consent. Yeah, and we we so, were we were only discussing that yesterday on the program and the, the victim blaming around it. Back to the funding issue, though, uh, yeah. no, Nolene. Yeah. How much do you get from government, and how much do you need for next year? All right. So each rape crisis centre will be different again, and of course we're the biggest. Not that we're not boasting. I'm simply saying we're in the biggest city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the best city, I know, but the biggest city. Um, and uh, and so therefore the cost of running our service is about. Are running everything that we do is about is over two million a year, about two and a quarter million. And I would boast that we do more with that than a lot of uh, than a lot of organisations would do, because a lot of our service is also provided by volunteers. But if we get about two point three, so it costs about two point three million just to do the basics. And of that, we get about one point three million from government. So we have to make up a million in non-government funding. Yeah, Mm. and fundraising, looking for grants, exactly. And of course, then this year, 
all the rape crisis centres are in the same position, sexual violence, Cork in the same position, that we can't do the public fundraising yeah. we did before. Dried up, dried and up. Nor, you know, normally we would have a flag day this year. It would bring in 50,000, which would just be volunteers out there shaking boxes. And that just went straight into providing services, you know, and it's kind of trying to make that up then online. That's why we've kind of our 16 day campaign is raising awareness, but also trying to raise the funding because we're going to keep things going. And actually, Patricia, we're trying new things the whole time. You know, we're trying an online counselling service. We're trying a web chat attached to the national helpline, all of these additional services. And again, it's a question where we don't require government to give us all our money. We'll, we'll, do other things as well. You know, we will do the public fundraising. But government has to, I think, now recognise that the, the lid has been lifted on, uh, on sexual violence as a real harm. And, and the, those who suffer that harm have to be supported. And, and it's not going to go back, pandemic or not. There's no point talking about once-off funding. We are in a situation where we have to help the people who were harmed by sexual assault, even when you can't see the harm. The harm is real. If we can deal with it, people can get on with their lives. And that's why the funding, the call for funding is so urgent for us right okay. now because because the need is there. OK, listen, pleasure as always to talk to you, Nolene. Thank you for that and thanks for joining Thank us. You, Good morning to you. That is Nolene Blackwell, CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Court today on C103. Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. A film to mark the 100 year anniversary of the Kilmichael ambush which took place on November the 28th 1920 will be launched online this evening to talk about the film and the ambush itself. I'm joined by Colm Cronin. Good morning to you Colm. Good morning. Uh, uh, Because of Covid um, will there be no public commemoration that you normally have on Saturday? No. No. No, it's it's an absolute shame, really. There's nothing. There, there can be nothing public. And this was to be the big one, the one hundredth. Absolutely, yeah. it would have been colossal. Yeah. So, who came up with the idea of this documentary? Well, my son Shane and I, we are part of Copying Archaeological, Historical, and Cultural Society. We thought, in the absence of anything happening, really, um, we thought, look, there's bound to be something we can do. So, Shane is a is a, a digital media. Um, worker in CRT so he is the technical expertise Grace, that comes in handy that comes in handy I'm the old fogey with a small bit of um, local <laughs> history um, knowledge uh, built up over the years so we decided to uh, pool our resources and um, this project has been produced largely during lockdown over the last four weeks so we have conducted some online interviews as well as on location interviews because luckily we are located within 5k of uh, the Kilmichael Ambush site. I've seen the trailer and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It, it really is very professionally done. It looks it looks excellent. Thanks. I suppose take take us back to 100 years ago and uh, remind us about the day and, and the lead in this this day, two days away from the ambush itself. Set the scene of what would have been going through people's minds and what was the plan? Yeah, I suppose one must remember that the auxiliaries were terrorising the whole of West Cork at the time. Uh, People were in a terrible state really because this elite force had been appointed. They were based in McCroom Castle and uh, they were were on high pay. They were well 
equipped. They were uh, well equipped with uh, both arms, etc., and they were in Crosley tenders, which were sort of cutting-edge vehicles of the day. And people were in terror of them. They seemed invincible. Um, but there was one guy that thought, look, enough is enough. Let's say, for instance, my father used to tell me that um, he um, the auxiliaries raided our place here at one point. We live in a farm here near Copin, And as they were searching our haggard, they spotted a neighbour about a half a mile away, walking across the land, minding his own business. They laid themselves on top of a turf reek and took careful aim, and they tried to shoot him. No, it was everyday events like this just sheer terror that fueled the resistance and fired up the likes of Tom Barry. And around this day, 100 years ago, they would have been training. Tom Barry got hand-picked a bunch of men and they assembled at Clutter, north of the Manway. And they would have been training there at this point in time. And he hadn't yet told them what the mission was, but he had a vision in mind. And tomorrow, 100 years ago, he and Michael McCarthy, who was to die in the ambush, rode a reconnaissance out to kill Michael, carefully observing the roads, the lie of the land, and the, the, the the whole general area. And they picked their spot and came up with this idea, which really was bordering on almost lunacy because it was really 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 dangerous but Tom Barry was made of steel he was a, a, a military expert he was trained by the British he was out in Mesopotamia and uh, he came up with this plan and conceived it and carried it out and it was the largest ambush of the war of independence wasn't it it was indeed um, altogether 21 people died as a consequence of the Kilmichael ambush. You had 17 auxiliaries died. You had three um, local IRA men that were killed in the ambush. And there was one man killed uh, two days later down in Kulderahi by the auxiliaries when they raided uh, a local shop and pub. Tell me about the the three men that died. Were they local men? Uh, there were the, the, the three men that died. Uh, there was Michael McCarthy. Um, Michael was from Dunmanway, and he was um, yeah the East Green Dunmanway. With Pat Deasy from Kilmac Simon Key in uh, Bandon, he was just sixteen years. Michael McCarthy was twenty-three, and the third man, Jim O'Sullivan from Nakavadra, Rossmore, he was also twenty-three years. God, they were so young. They were so young, and the the story that the, 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 when the the three men, the three IRA men were killed, they were buried in secret in a bog that night. Isn't that true? They were indeed, yeah. We have, we, that's actually one of our interviewees, uh, John O'Callaghan from uh, Castletown. Uh, was, it, they were brought to his grandparents' place in Gertrow, about two miles away from the ambush, um, uh, because people were absolutely in dread of reprisals, because nobody knew how soon the auxiliaries in McCroom Castle would hear about it, and they could be down on top of them. So the three men were brought out to this house, and um, the doctor and priest were brought, but unfortunately the third one, Pat Deasy, died at quarter past ten. And uh, they got two men uh, came along and they got floorboards out of a local cottage and they made uh, makeshift coffins for them. They buried them in a bog near Glown, which is just over the, the, the hill from Gertrow where they were. And um, yeah, they were there for a couple of nights before they were uh, put into coffins made by cases of Inchigila and then eventually buried in Castletown Kenna. That's uh, incredible. And, and normally the commemorations are held around their cemetery, around their, their burial place? 
Indeed, they are. The, the, the ceremony is usually on the, the Sunday closest to the ambush date. Um, they start off in Castletown Kenneth Church in St. Joseph's Church, and there's a mass of Osgaelga there, and uh, music by our, our choir in the church there as well, Osgaelga. And afterwards, then there are graveside prayers and uh, commemorations. And then they go on to Cookies um, Pub in Castletown for refreshments. And then they go on to the ambush site where where uh, there's a, a visiting speaker and some prayers and maybe the song sang. I actually sang the song myself twice there at, at, at the... At the uh, and, and listen, please, God, we'll all be able to do it again this time next year. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be able to remember it. The, the, the film, are you pleased with the way it's turned out? We're very pleased. Yeah. We're very pleased indeed. Yeah, there's a huge amount of work put into it and in the circumstances, working within COVID restrictions and that, it, it was quite a challenge. But nevertheless, it's, it's, it's got huge, huge potential. And we think that once it's up there, it's, 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 uh, you know, it'll, it'll have a huge audience. And in particular, we have, uh, we're including t- some interviews from Chisholm Tapes, which are really, really, really important. And this is an absolute exclusive. These recordings have never been aired on TV or in other media. And they are of um, of men who are involved in the ambush. They take us right into the heart of the action with first-hand accounts. And that, that's footage that's never been seen before. Absolutely. Wow, wow. And, you know, I was always trying to turn... Uh, when something negative is happening, trying to make a positive out of it. And I was, you know, thinking for for all of, of you who've been involved in the commemorations over the years, you know, it's just heartbreaking that you can't have it on the most important one, the 100th year. But I think this film documentary is going to now reach, Colm, a much wider audience, people who perhaps wouldn't have been able to have gone along to the commemoration. And I think people overseas are going to suddenly see it and find out a lot more. You're going to really spread the word about what happened in Kilmichael. You are so right, Patricia. You put your hand on it there, your, your finger on the pulse there. there we have over 20,000 people um, interested online. We have, uh, we have a huge number of people who have shown interest in this. And as you say, we will reach an audience um, beyond our wildest yeah, dreams. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the real positive. That's the real positive out of it. So people are asking where, where, when and where can we see it. So, OK, it's tonight. You can go to Copying Heritage Facebook page. We can go to copyinheritage.com probably, which is Dot a little com, bit okay. more straightforward. Okay. Because um, Facebook is, can be a little bit confusing at times. Okay. But nevertheless, cutting through the, the jargon, if people go to copyinheritage.com and all the um, details are there, it will be <clears throat> it will be shown on YouTube tonight. Also Facebook. At what time? It's half past nine. Half past nine. Okay. And then it'll be there afterwards. If, if 9.30 doesn't suit people tonight, it'll be there afterwards on YouTube for people to pick up on it. Precisely. They yeah. can look at it any time they want at all. Uh, just go to copyinheritage.com and they can get it. It'll be embedded in our website there without having to uh, navigate through well, it. Listen, well, listen, well done to you and to your son Shane and everybody else involved. You've put a lot of work uh, into this and I'm certainly looking forward uh, to seeing it. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Many, many thanks, Patricia. Good morning thank to you. you. Bye bye. That is uh, Colm Cronin uh, from Copying, as uh, it's copyingheritage.com from half past nine tonight. If you want to see it, as I've, I've seen, you may have seen this little trailer uh, doing the rounds online. I saw it and it really does look like a, a stunning movie. It's a drama a documentary film. 1850 103. We have Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. This is Court Today. Court Today. With
with Patricia Messenger on C103. Speaking about the Kilmichael ambush and the commemoration that would normally have been happening this weekend, obviously with COVID restrictions, can now not take place. And instead, uh, they're put together, the Copying Historical Society, putting together this wonderful, wonderful documentary film that goes live tonight at uh, half past nine. That's prompted Mick and Donnerell to say, uh, yes, of course, the Kilmichael commemoration is not going ahead, along with a lot of the other centenary memorials uh, that should have been happening this year. All of them obviously have been forced to be cancelled because of COVID restrictions. But Mick says, what I can't understand is how there hasn't been questions asked about how our Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, could travel up north to Enniskillen. Uh, this was for Remembrance Sunday, I remember a few weeks ago. He did that during uh, a pandemic and he's supposed to be the leader of the Republican Party, says Mick in Donnerell. Can't understand why more people were not giving out about that when we have had to cancel all of our commemorations down south. 1850 Staying with a kind of a northern issue. Could you please find out, please, for Nora. Nora has a friend coming home for Christmas. Her friend lives in Belfast. Will her friend have to isolate and will she be able to come home? Um, Thanking you uh, very much. Well, at the moment, I did mention that earlier. There was, I think, a spanner in the works was thrown yesterday when it was, was, it was Leo Varadkar came out and said that there was talks of warnings being given about travelling up north and there was a suggestion from the Thornish to Leo Varadkar that we wouldn't be allowed to travel up north our people wouldn't be allowed and, and I'm, I'm assuming the same would be that they would be encouraging people up north not to travel south but then the Tisha came out and dismissed the warning and said that they're, they have never they haven't even discussed stopping people travelling over and across the border. I do accept and he does accept that there are higher cases in the sixth county than there is in the south but there has been no plans to advise a restriction of travel either way across the border. So Nora, I think your friend is 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 safe to come but the danger is I don't know what part of Belfast your friend is coming from and how much COVID is in her area. It's it's just, it's one of those dilemmas that people find themselves in. Do you travel or do you stay at home? And certainly from a lot of our listeners from commentary we're getting in, we have people saying, do, I'm not doing anything this year. I normally travel. I normally go to somebody else's house. I've decided this year it's one Christmas. I'm going to stay at home. And then we've got other people saying, you can Give all the restrictions you want and all the rules and regulations. I am throwing open my front door and my entire family is coming to visit. So it's individual choices and a lot of it will be down to individual choice. On the closing of the pubs, a listener from Bantier says the government is now intent on closing all rural pubs for good and then only catering for the larger gastro pubs and their rich clientele. Rural Ireland is finished. Uh, fears Pat in a band here. On the m- amount that will be allowed into a church for Mass on Christmas Day, 50 people maximum inside in a church for Mass. Is that regardless of the church size, ponders a listener. So you put 50 people into a small church, say a small church like Glantan, and then you have a huge church like the Church of the Resurrection in Mallow, and yet they're only allowed 50 people? Not making any sense. No thought whatsoever from the government are they putting into these. They're blanket rules. It's like one size fits all. And I think that is a very good point. We've got some cathedrals around the country that are absolutely ginormous building buildings that can normally hold many thousands of people and they've been also when they were allowed 
to open for Mass. They also had to stick to the only 50 allowed in the church. I do think that's something that could be looked at. It, you know, one size certainly doesn't fit all. Surely they should look at the size of the church and then decide how many people could be allowed to attend. I don't know, is that too complicated? It, to me, doesn't seem that complicated, but it is looking like they're going to stick to the rule of only 50 people. And as I mentioned at the top of the programme, the complications and the problems that's going to cause uh, for Christmas is going to be humongous. And then another texter says, who, who, who do the government think they are? Telling people how many people can come into our homes for Christmas. People pay rent and people pay mortgage. They own their own homes. All our freedom has been taken away from us. We have the right to bring in as many people as we like. You were talking about Northern Ireland earlier. Maybe if the people from the north stayed in the north, we down here wouldn't be in the lockdown we're in at the moment. It's not in the homes blaming households. Now, last week it was the elderly. Happy Christmas to all because I intend to enjoy it. Do you think all the TDs will be going by all of the rules? I don't think so, says this texter who says, regardless of what restrictions and rules the government announced, and Micheál Martin announces uh, tomorrow this particular lady is going to do her own thing. I mentioned that COVID's friend is alcohol. It was something, I think it was Tony Houlihan said it many, many months ago. Somebody else says, uh, Trish, COVID's friend is ignorance. That's who's COVID's best friend. Hi, Patricia, do you know how many, what were the cases in Cork yesterday? I do. The cases for Cork yesterday were uh, 42. We stubbornly seem to be stuck around the 40 number for the last few days. It seems to have been 40. every. It's much lower. Listen, let's take the 40. It's much lower than certainly what it was but it's, it's stuck around that kind of 40, for, between 40 and 45 every day. So 42 was what it was for uh, yesterday. Uh, somebody says churches were allowed 100 people when they opened. Why are they allowed 100? I thought it was always only 50 were allowed in churches. In the early, maybe in the early days of the restrictions, certainly just before they closed, it was down to 50. But according to this listener, she remembers it being 100 when they were opened. And here's a great text in from a West Cork listener to say, Patricia, yesterday really brought it home to me how lonely some of the older people in rural Ireland are. I was out for a walk yesterday afternoon and I happened to meet one of my older neighbours. He'd be a gentleman in his early 80s. And he was telling me, and this was his words, he's nearly gone mental from being locked inside in his house. He has three sons. One lives in Australia, one lives in England and he does have one living locally about six miles away and that son is really good. He brings him his shopping and anything else that he needs but he's basically confined to his own home on his own. He always used to go to the local pub. He'd go three nights a week. He'd drink one pint but he was saying to me I just went for the crack and for the chat and I said to him could you not have a little drink yourself at home? And his reply was I'd prefer to have one in the pub than to have a dozen at home. The powers that be are going to end up with much bigger problems if they don't sort this out. This is the West Cork listener. Mental health is going to be a huge issue and many of the hospitals simply won't be able to cope. God, but I felt so sorry for him, uh, says this listener. He was just so lonely. Oh God, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? And you can't even, because of the restrictions and because obviously... He's cocooning and he's minding himself. You can't even say to him, sure, come on over to our house for a few hours or I'll call into your house for a few hours because we're, we're being told at the moment we're not to visit anyone and we're not to have visitors into the house. 
maybe, I don't know, could you meet up with them over the garden fence and if you're out for another walk again today or tomorrow, try and find a time where you know you'll meet up with them and just have a little bit of a chat. It's it's just, and there are so many people like he, that man is not on his own. That's been replicated, not just here in this county, but that's been replicated all over the country. 1850 And somebody was asking about fines. Somebody was given out about uh, people going into supermarkets, not everybody's wearing their face masks and why are we not issuing fines? And once we start issuing fines to people, it may make people just cop on a a little bit. Well, the the fines for the COVID-19 have now been introduced. The the only got got finally got signed off and into law uh, this week. Under the new fixed penalty notices, Gardaí can now fine someone €500 for organising an event inside or outside. That's to do with the the house parties. So that's €500 fine. If you attend an event in a private dwelling that's in breach of the regulations, so you go to one of those house parties, you can be fined €150. And if you're caught in breach of the travel regulations, which at the moment is 5k, you can be fined €100. If you fail to wear a face mask on public transport, you can be fined €80. And I'm assuming it's the same if you fail to wear it inside in a shop. So it's €80 is the fine there. Individuals receive a fixed penalty notice. You have 28 days to pay and if you don't pay you will end up being prosecuted. The fines came into effect on Sunday under the statutory instrument which was signed by the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly over the weekend bringing the regulations into law. Uh, because we've been talking about fines for quite some time but they're finally in law. The Department of Health and the Department of Justice said the vast majority of people were following health guidance but there's a small cohort who are ignoring the advice and putting themselves and other at risk uh, making the new fines necessary because I know the Gardaí themselves were not happy. They were certainly not calling for fines. They wanted to continue to do what they were doing which is uh, engage and educate and you know move people on and say to people you need to wear a face mask and point out to somebody they're doing something wrong and then the person says I'm sorry about that Garda I'll wear my mask in future or if you're caught outside the 5k without a genuine reason they turn around and they go back so certainly the Gardaí are not looking to be issuing the fines and I think the Department of Health and Department of Justice are right. The vast majority are abiding. Whether we like it or not, we're abiding by the restrictions. But it's the few, It's the, always will be the small number that will ruin it for everybody else. And because of that, these new fines have been introduced. So they're officially now gone live since last Sunday. €80 Euro for not wearing a face covering on public uh, transport. And as I said, I'm assuming that that's also in a retail setting. €100 Euro if you're caught outside the travel regulations at the moment it's the 5k it will go to from next week it'll go to you can't travel outside of your you can travel anywhere in the county but if you go outside the county and you're caught you'll be caught with the with the 100 euro and 150 if you attend a house party and 500 euro if you organise that house party or if you organise any kind of an outside gathering so that obviously would cover as well 
groups who gather in the city, in the city centre, what we were witnessing over the last number of weekends, if they can prove that that in some way was an organised event, like somebody put it up on Facebook or somebody invited friends along for some kind of an organised gathering, people could be fined. Will it stop people? Only time will tell. 1850-333-103. Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. General assistants are wanted for a busy scrap metal recycling yard that's in North Cork, while a staff nurse is wanted for Glendonna Nursing Home. Alps Alpine in Mill Street, they're recruiting general operatives and a receptionist is required for a veterinary practice that's in North Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 Hundreds of local businesses in towns and villages right across the country are poised to showcase the best they have to offer for a national Green Friday event which takes place tomorrow. One of the co-founders of Green Friday Ireland is Bronwyn Connolly who joins me. Good morning to you Bronwyn. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? Well, I'm very well and and you're very uh, welcome. God, but we need this event this year more than any other year. But just remind us why and how you established this. It was back in 2017, wasn't it? It was indeed, Patricia. Yeah, um, I had started it myself because I had just opened my own store in Cork and Green for our Black Friday was coming about and I said, my goodness, how am I going to be able to compete with this? So... We decided that we were going to do a Green Friday event where we would showcase all of the makers to our customers and, you know, just do something a little special rather than the discounts because it's very difficult for small businesses to compete with the discounts. And each year then it's just grown momentum and more businesses started taking part and more people like the concept. And yeah, this year it's really shaping up to be a stellar year in it, you know. How many businesses have signed up this year for the event? Uh, well, as of Monday, we had about 250, and of this morning, we've about 600 businesses. Whoa, so, that's yeah. terrific. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really gathered momentum now in the last couple of days. And are you taking some hope from the amount of people who are talking about shopping locally, and I think more than ever realise how important it is this year? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's one really positive consequence out of the pandemic is that everybody's really just trying to make a conscious effort to support the small business and kind of realise how important they are in the community, you know. So do you think this could be the best Green Friday to date? Absolutely, definitely, <laughs> yes. And and what's really lovely, Patricia, is this year we're seeing a lot of kind of charity partnerships. So there's a hashtag that people are d- donating and not discounting. So a lot of businesses are actually giving back to local charities who, you know, yourself have suffered greatly as well throughout all of this. Okay, and all of the businesses, they try and offer something a little bit extra special, do they, for Green Friday? Is that the idea of it? Exactly, yeah. So really we were trying to to convince people to kind of move away a little bit from discount culture and just offer something nice and wholesome for their customers. And the feedback has been really, really great on that. You know, things like free shipping, gift wrapping, that kind of thing, is it? Yeah, free shipping, free gift wrapping, something a little extra. Um, tree planting, we're seeing an awful lot of tree planting this year, which is fantastic that for every purchase, somebody would plant a tree or donate to some native Irish planting tree associations here. Have you many Cork businesses, Bronwyn? We've loads of Cork businesses, actually. Great. There's, there's loads coming on board, yeah. And a lot of them are, are again, looking at more of the kind of um, uh, giving back to the community. 
We know a lot of um, non-essential businesses are, are still closed and everybody's hoping that they'll all be reopened by uh, next Wednesday. Have many of them an online presence or are many of them still holding out for when they can reopen next week? I think we've all kind of had to make the transition online, Patricia. You know, um, it's, it's, uh, I suppose being closed for November, it just forced us all into <laughs> um, being savvy online. So I would say most people have the online going, but are really hoping for the bumper December as well. Yeah, yeah, because some people have managed to do the click and collect. Doesn't work for everybody, though. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, we've done it here ourselves and it has been good. But good. I think, Patricia, you know, for a lot of small businesses, the customers like to come in. They like to support. They like to see the product. Um, and, you know, it's more of kind of an experience rather than just a purchase. Yeah, you see, I need to browse. I, I, I have a number of people that I still have to buy Christmas presents for. Some who I haven't got a clue what I'm going to buy them. And this happens every year. And I like to walk into a shop and then you'll see something. And it's just not the same looking at it online. I don't, I don't I, you know, I think you need to touch something almost. You do, you do, especially craft and kind of locally made things. Like it's a very tactile experience and you get to shop, you know, talk to the shop assistants and they can tell you a little bit more about the maker. And I suppose there's that also kind of peace of mind that you have a physical store to return something to or to come back. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people like that. There's a and lot, like a lot to be browsing. said for it. Lot, yeah, the browsing is all part of it. Your own business, you're a wild design collective. Yeah, we have two stores. So we're in Paul Street Shopping Centre in Cork City and in Plunkett Street in Killarney. And so we'd be kind of specialists in locally made and Irish made gifting, homewares, textiles and cosmetics. And you've obviously been closed during this uh, lockdown. What will you do tomorrow to celebrate Green Friday? Well, what we're having here in the store is we're having some local musicians coming in. So Maeve, who is um, one of the founders, she's a fantastic musician. And as you know yourself, musicians and the arts have taken a real hit this year. So we have a little shutter here in Paul Street and there's customers always passing because they're in the queue to Tesco. So we're going to be playing Cure for the Soul for a couple of hours between three and seven to brighten up everybody's day. Um, <laughs> as they pass the and even though your shop is closed... Yes, well, we have a shutter, so we're just going to bring up the shutter oh, and the uh, screen so people can still hear and enjoy the music. That's a lovely, lovely thing to do. Well done, well done. And you're all set and waiting for Micheál Martin's announcement tomorrow yeah. evening. Yes, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're lined up for Micheál Martin's announcement and then the toy show. <laughs> That's In that order. And it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be, what, 9am Wednesday morning? Pretty much 9am Wednesday morning. I mean, I, th- I think it's pretty much a given you know that they're going to do it but of course obviously we, we have to wait for the, the official go ahead. Okay and people can find out more about Green Friday there is a website There's a website greenfriday.org but then on our Instagram page it's very active that's where we're posting and promoting in our stories everybody who's taking part and the offers that they're doing. Well, that's fantastic it's listened uh, as I say I do have a feeling this is going to be your best Green Friday to date and please God this time next year when we're talking about the next event we'll be, you'll be building even further on it. Exactly yes. Okay. yes. Well listen have a, have, have a great Green Friday uh, Bronwyn and, and a really good December Yeah, I think Thank all those small so businesses really need it and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. 
thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye, bye bye. Bronwyn uh, Connolly uh, there of the Green Friday Ireland Initiative. Please do what you can to support local. Check out their Facebook page, uh, Green Friday Ireland dot org, as Bronwyn said on their social media accounts as well. And just try to do your bit to try to support some of those local industries. 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. I'm off to for more Guy the Station for this week's Guy the Fire, where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you are welcome. Actually, I saw a piece on the paper this morning about this, the theft of catalytic converters. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This was something that happened. It was more common a number of years ago and it seems to be rearing its ugly head again. Uh, I suppose it's been, uh, it's spreading kind of down the country more a bit. Um, was it more a Dublin issue? I, yeah, I know last year, uh, you know, there were quite a few incidents happening in the Dublin and Leinster region. Yeah. Um, uh, it took it a, a while, but I suppose we noticed in the last couple of months a number of incidents. Um, now, it tends to be, uh, you know, I won't go into the makes and models of the different cars or the vintages of the cars that have been targeted. There's obviously, uh, you know, a reason for the, them selecting the ones that they are selecting. Uh, are the, they in all cars? They're in all cars. Oh, they yeah, are. You yeah. see, I don't even know what a catalytic converter is. And why are they stealing them? Is there are they? Are they is it precious metals? And what? what precious, what? precious metals. Yeah, okay. different types of uh, rarer metals, uh, rhodium, palladium. Um, now, doesn't they're there in minute forms? But I mean, uh, the, the the expense of them, even you know, in those minute forms, mean that you know they can get um, you, you you know quite a quite an amount of money for some of them. You are know, they easy they to are, are they easy to remove from a car? Well, I, I tell you, the easiest way to say is if you go onto YouTube, you can see a video. I think it was taken in London uh, where you see, saw this gang come along, stop at a car, literally out out with a jack, up up with it, in with an electric uh, uh, grinder, and literally they have it all out, out in 
about a minute flat, you know. Now, uh, to show you, as regards underground here, uh, we had an incident there on Saturday night last. Now, it occurred, we know, at about five past ten uh, on Saturday night, where there was a car targeted at uh, Parkna Grena in Ratcormac. Now, that's an area I've mentioned before, Parkna Grena, uh, because in uh, relation to cars that were being targeted there, that were... Uh, uh, property was being taken from them uh, that had been left unlocked. But in this case, um, there was good CCTV in the area, and we know it was a black BMW that was involved, a three series BMW. There were three males on, in that car, and um, literally, they were one of them got out of the car, uh, they were in under the, under the motor that they targeted six minutes. Uh, the car then left in the Glenville direction. Now, we're aware that that car, a black BMW, has been involved in incidents in Limerick City and County area with relation to the theft of catalytic converters. So, uh, uh, again, um, there's a possibility that this that this is the same car. So, we'd ask anyone that was in the Red Cormac area or, indeed, in, in any area just to keep a lookout, black BMW acting suspiciously, um, you know, maybe for people to keep an eye open to when they're walking through car parks, you know, if they see a couple of people acting suspiciously near a car um, to, call, to, call the, to call the Gardaí oh. and then yeah, obviously there's a huge, huge cost involved to the owner of the car is it to have these there's a massive there's ah. a massive cost involved you know in 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 relation to some cars the cost involved uh, you, you know could mitigate mitigate against putting in a new converter ah, just getting rid shocking. of the car because some of them would be of the older variety you know um so we had one as well there last uh, Thursday, Friday, um, overnight at some stage, Thursday, Friday night, 1920 at Fremont in Charleville, where there was a catalytic converter against stolen from under a car. The person, in both instances, the moment the person got into the car, they started the car. They knew from the sound that there was something wrong, and they apparently guessed that was the catalytic converter had been taken, you know. So, um, as I said, you, you know, we'd be looking for information as well as to where those catalytic converters are, are, are gone. Uh, are going to um, there's somebody buying them and uh, we'll appeal to you, you know any information that we'd be glad to hear as well and there's not uh, a lot you can do to if, if, the, if it's been done in the dead of the night and your car is parked outside your door there isn't a lot you can do to protect your catalytic converter or is there? A lot, not a lot you can do if you have a garage obviously use a garage uh, you know in, in some cases I know in car parks uh, people park very very close to cars to mitigate against somebody kind of going in under them. Um, but you know there there isn't there isn't a lot you can do. As CCTV a you then for evidence. Yeah, if you have CCTV, you know if you've got got good street lighting, utilize that. You yeah. Know? Okay. Okay. Um, the, the, the other incident there I want to mention, um, and it's causing a, a lot of grief to county councils and to uh, private contractors who are employed by the county council with the big LED speed signs and traffic information signs around the place. They're being targeted. They're being, uh, uh, the back of them is being broken to take out the 12-volt battery. Now, the battery involves probably five or six euros worth, but there could be three to 400 uh, euros worth of damage done to the speed signs. Yeah, so, we've spoken with some community groups about this because a lot of those LED speed signs, the ones getting people to slow down, it's local groups that fundraise themselves to raise the money to have those installed. It's just, it's so unfair on those local communities. And they're put in to make people slow down, to make the area safer absolutely. for the residents that live there. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'd appeal to anyone, look, if they see anyone interfering with them, you know, you know, give us a call straight away, you know, because it, 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 as you can see, the damage done is totally disproportionate to the, to the value of, 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 of the of the battery that's inside in it, you know? Yeah, and it's open, it's, it's, it's high enough up on a pole, so they're either going to need a ladder or there's going to be a couple of people helping each other out to, to get up to get out the battery. So somebody yes. has to see something. Correct, yeah. correct. Um, the, the last thing there, so again, if anyone sees anything, just give us a ring straight away. Um, you know, and again, it's, it's very important, I suppose, for people to keep the number of their local guard station, their local 24-7 guard station, their district headquarters, in their phone, you know, so that they can, if they see something, to give it a quick ring. Just, yeah, um, and the other one is, we were always saying it, with cameras on your phone, where possible and where it's safe, take a photograph if there's a, a car or a van or people involved, you'll have the evidence on your phone by way of a photograph. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe maybe there's people looking for different uh, uh, advice on Christmas presents at the moment, you know. I mean, the little... Uh, the little uh, camera in in the car is a good thing as well now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, was there was there a bicycle stolen that you want to highlight? A bicycle stolen as well there, you know. No, it wasn't just any bike. Uh, the, the, I mean, some of the bikes now, uh, cycling's got a lot more common, uh, as we all know, but this bicycle was worth uh, 2000 um, Now, it was stolen, I think, from the Glenmire area. The injured party... Uh, they hadn't given up hope for it and continued to look on Facebook. It turned up on Facebook being, being advertised. So the injured party agreed to meet with the person who was selling it. Um, the bike was identified as the, as belonging to the injured party and the Gaudi were in the vicinity. The person was arrested and brought to uh, conveyed to Malo Gaudi Station. You know? So again, you, you know, um, as I say, a bit of detective work on Facebook, you know, it was, it was advertised for sale and uh, it was the person then from whom it was stolen that managed to find it on Facebook. Okay, you just need to be you know? so so um, so careful. But when you're buying items on any online, absolutely, and and like I mean the the, the price. If you know the price isn't right, there's, there's a reason. Either it's a, either it's a bad quality item or else it's a hot item. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, because generally, as I said, there's no such thing as a free lunch, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, just for people as well this time of year, you know, keep an eye out for their elderly neighbours. Um, you know, you, you know, to get, uh, if there's anyone anyone calling to them or, or, or anything, just to keep an eye out for them. Uh, thankfully, crime in general seems to be uh, quite a bit down, uh, you know, apart from, say, the couple of incidents I've spoken about, but burglaries seem to be well down, you know. So just for people to keep a general eye out. And, uh, yeah, because uh, we spoke only last week on the programme about the incidents of uh, bogus traders and, yeah. you know, how it's how these guys can plumose somebody, how they can just be, you know, so convincing that they're legit. And then once they get into a person's house and they normally target older people. Yeah, of course. Yeah, older people are vulnerable people, right? And it looks to be as if... Um, from what we've seen in the guards, you know, the repeat incidents whereby a person who was targeted three years ago, they could be targeted again 18 months down the track or two years down the track, you know. So they, they, they really know how to either sell on the names or else mention, well, there's a fellow there even in such a place, you know. Um, now, again, the thing with bogus traders, just don't just think because you can do an internet search and you want a particular job done to the house that 
Um, some of those bogus, bogus traders are now to be found on the internet. Well, uh, they're really put yeah. Their, yeah, they're really upping their game. They're upping their game, yeah. 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 So, uh, please for pe- people to just do due diligence. You know, if they are getting jobs under the house, make sure they get a recommendation from a friend or a neighbour. You know, there may be somebody in the locality that's quite well able to do it. Don't just allow yourself to get conned uh, out of 10 or 12,000. And this sometimes, unfortunately, is what happens. It was, know, I was just, it was Sally Hanlon, you know, who works with victims. Victims against crime, after crime. It was Sally was talking to us about the bogus traders. And, but she was making the point as well that there are people who have been conned and they're embarrassed because they got conned and they're not, would, repo- they're not reporting. I would agree with you, Patricia. Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree that there are some people and it's been put down to experience. They're not saying anything. Uh, they're not saying anything to friends, neighbours, relations. You know, and uh, there is a possibility that we don't know the true scale of what those people are they are taking off people, you know. And that is why, um, no, it's not as big an issue at the moment because we're all keeping our eyes open as regards, say, unusual cars around because of the five-mile uh, thing uh, with the regulations. But we did see that when the last time, in you know, in March after that lockdown, the first out of the traps uh, within a short while, um, that uh, five mile was relaxed and you could now travel again into county were some of the bogus traders. Okay. Now, they constantly reinvent themselves. They sometimes, they're, they're at garden landscaping, they're at tree surgery, you know, you name it and they'll do it if they can scam money out of people, you know, and that's the time that uh, people out, out of the country, not just people out of the country, they call as well to, to villages and towns, uh, different estates, that uh, just pay attention to who's doing work in the area, you know, and if you see uh, a local elderly person on their own and, and there's vans calling, you know, just be inquisitive. Yeah, go, yeah go, go and engage and how are you getting on and what's happening here and, you know, just uh, be careful, just, you know, but but just look out for, look out for, for, for older people. Absolutely. When you Absolutely. were, when you were talking about making sure people have their, the telephone number of the 24-hour guard station in their phone, uh, Anne says, is Cantor guard the station open 24 hours a day? And somebody else is saying, how do you know which guard the station is open uh, 24 hours a day? Is Cantor... It's your local district. It's your local district headquarters. Okay. If you're in Mallow district, it's Mallow guard station. If you're in Formoy district, it's Formoy guard station. Um, most other stations, you have uh, you have a patrol car out, like Charleville, like Kentucky, you have a patrol car out 24-7. It's just that there is nobody sitting in the station to take your call. So that's what I mean by that. Okay. Um, say the like, uh, obviously we have uh, we have detention facilities, say, in the like of Mallow, in the like of Fermoy, in the like of Middleton. So therefore, where you're prisoners, you have to have a 24-hour presence. The station, in, in other words, is open to the public. 24 hours. But not uh, all stations are. Not all no. stations are. No. But just because the station is not open to the public, there's still uh, a control car out in the area, covering the area. Okay. And sometimes people might be confused as regards that, but there is still a patrol car out, despite the fact that the local station might be closed to the public. Just that there's nobody physically in the in the barracks, they're out, they're, they're still exactly. around patrol. Exactly, and it's to, make, it's to make better use of resources. Okay. You know, that there's somebody out patrolling to see if there's any incidents or if there's any opportunistic criminals around looking for looking for targets, basically. Okay, John, we leave it there. Thank you for that.
And thank you, thanks, Patricia. Thanks thank for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Sergeant John Kelly, who is based at uh, Formoygar, the station. We were talking about the Kilmurray ambush in the last hour and the fact that they've got this documentary film that they've made themselves. The local historical society has uh, put it together because they can't have the 100-year commemoration on Saturday and it's going live tonight at half past nine. Somebody says, Patricia, what t- TV station is the Kilmichael ambush on? Unfortunately, it's not on a TV station. It is online. If you go to the Copying Heritage to their website, and I've just gone on to, to their page, it's copyingheritage.ie, C-O-P-P-E-E-N, copyingheritage.com. And it will be going live on that particular website tonight from half past nine and then thereafter it'll be available I imagine it'll be always available on their actual website themselves but you'll be able to get it on YouTube uh, as well but it's from half past nine tonight is when you they, they will give the very first airing of that movie so unfortunately or that documentary unfortunately no it's not on a TV station it would be great if it was 1850 our lines are open Sadie and Bernie taking your calls is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. In Pickett will join us later on in this hour. If you have a pet question, can you get them into us, please? 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And if you are a sport fan, you're invited to join Trevor Welch on C103.ie this Saturday for the Premier League Live. It's exclusively online, powered by Talk Sport. This Saturday, it's uh, Brighton versus Liverpool. That's at 12.30. Manchester City versus Burnley's at 3. Everton versus Leeds the kick off there is at half past five and then West Brom and Sheffield United the final match that's at eight o'clock on Saturday evening that's the Premier League live online listen every Saturday by downloading the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie let's stay on the subject of sport for a moment because Pat in Kilmallock said really saddened to hear of Maradona's passing yesterday what a player and Pat's message is Thank you for the memories, uh, Diego. A lot of people very saddened uh, by it and why the world is mourning the loss of the footballing legend that was Diego uh, Maradona. There's another legendary footballer making the papers today. I don't know if you saw this on the news or not last night. This was Ian Wright and that case that racially, uh, uh, the, the way he was racially abused, that case has finally come to court. And of course, he was racially abused online by an Irish teenager. The case was in the courts yesterday the district court in Tralee it was an 18 year old by the name of Patrick O'Brien he sent what was described as crass and racist messages to the former Arsenal and in England player and the reason why he did it is most bizarre it seems he was playing the virtual soccer match on FIFA the PlayStation game where a, a virtual Ian Wright was downloaded to play for him and he lost the match. So Patrick O'Brien pleaded guilty on the two charges and he is going to be sentenced in January. Will be It'll be interesting to see what sentence is he, is he going to get. But also I think the fact that this case made it to court 
and that it's been highlighted. I'm hoping that it might make people stop to think before posting or sending really vile messages online. People think, you know, these keyboard warriors, just because the person isn't in front of you, they feel that they can say whatever they like, having no understanding of the effect it's going to have on the person who's receiving those uh, messages. The Garda Sergeant in Tralee, a guy by the name of Owen O'Donovan said that Patrick O'Brien, uh, he, he'd been playing this FIFA online game against a friend and he downloaded the virtually in right as a legend to play for him. But then he lost the game and he went mad. What an excuse. He then went on to send Ian Wright 20 messages on Instagram using language that was crass, racist and threatening in nature. He was using race, racist slurs beginning with the N and the C word. So you can imagine what he was saying. The following morning then, Ian Wright was made aware of the messages and the former Arsenal star took screen grabs and then he published them on his own public page. And I remember at the time people were saying, well done to Ian Wright for calling it out rather than just sort of suffering in silence and saying, isn't this awful that this could happen to me? He decided enough was enough and he went public and there was huge outrage, particularly then when we realised that it was one of our own. It was a young lad, you know, from down the road in Kerry. I think people were really shocked by it. Two victim impact statements were read out by Ian Wright in court. He would have been in court only for the COVID restrictions and restrictions on travel. So he did send victim impact statements in the first. He said, emotionally, very shook up with the intensity. I've experienced racism years ago, uh, but I am in complete shock to experience it now. and also very, very disappointed. And then in a second his victim impact statement was addressed to this young 18-year-old from Kerry and it says, Patrick, I forgive you. I believe there is redemption for everyone. I hope that you and also those that either taught you or enabled this hate will learn from this and will change for the better. The the court was then told that the 18-year-old had no previous convictions. He also, of course, had contacted Ian Wright straight away and he did apologise. But Judge David Waters has now ordered a probation report. He's remanded O'Brien on bail to appear in court again on the 27th of January. So we'll hear more about this in the new year as to what kind of sentence he's actually going to get. But as I say, the very fact that it's getting so much publicity, I'm hoping it'll just might deter others. People might just stop and think Uh, of what you can do to somebody and the effect you can have on somebody and doing it thinking, Asher, I'm sitting here at home typing away, I'm doing it on my phone, so this is all a bit of a laugh. It's not. And the effects that it can have, as we have seen in the past, uh, it's caused people to take their own lives. It's It's been shocking, shocking cases of that kind of vile abuse online. It's one of the real downsides. There's so many positives to online. online. There's so many positives to social media, but unfortunately there's so many negative sides uh, to it as well. And I'm going to stay on the subject of sport because we've been contacted this morning about a GAA here in Cork it's a GAA fundraising initiative and uh, Michael in Glen Rovers was the first to contact us this morning and he's very annoyed about this new fundraising initiative it's a fundraising initiative from the Cork County Board the Rebels Bounty Ticket Scheme now seemingly Mark Woods of the Echo was writing about this a couple of weeks ago in the in the paper about this proposal where all senior clubs under the remit of Cork County G- Cork County GAA board have to sell tickets. Okay, so the senior clubs have to sell 100 tickets. Their price is 100 euro each. They're not cheap tickets. Intermediate clubs have to sell 70 tickets and then the junior clubs have to sell 50 tickets. So clubs then 
are able to retain revenue above and beyond the tickets that they that they sell. So if a senior club sells 150 tickets, they'll get the 50 tickets, the price of the 50 tickets, but they don't get the price of the 100 uh, tickets. The, so and an example that was being used by Mark Woods in the Echo was if the teams don't manage to sell the tickets, I take for example, if a junior team only managed to sell 40 of the 50 allocated tickets at €100 Euro a pop, it won't get any revenue. But the sting in the tail is it has to pay the board the balance of the tickets that they didn't sell. So if a junior team sold only 40 of the 50 tickets, that would leave them with 10 tickets at €100 Euro each. They would then have to pay the county board the €1,000 for the tickets that they weren't able to sell. And the principle behind it, obviously, is to motivate clubs uh, to get out and sell the tickets. Now, if they're in an area where they're able to sell lots of tickets, they'll be able to make some money for their own club. But Michael, who's contacted us, is very, very annoyed about it judging by some of the texts he sent in this morning he said it's a disgrace they're getting clubs to pay for pork equive and also he makes a good point how can clubs sell tickets with the virus at the moment uh, you need to be talking about this on your uh, programme we're living in the middle of a pandemic how can GAA club members be expected to go out and try to sell the tickets and also it's they're a hundred it's a hundred euro it's not like going out and saying to if you're at work and saying to your workmates here will you buy a line there for two euro or I'm selling a book of tickets for a five. Like a hundred euro is for a lot of people at the moment who are really struggling because of the pandemic. People who've lost their jobs, people who are on reduced pay. Um, you know, that coming up to Christmas, there's not many people are going to have that kind of money to be flahulic about. And during Celtic times, Celtic Tiger times, it was probably an easy way to sell tickets. But anyway, Michael is quite annoyed about it. But I think also whatever about being the club's been forced to sell the tickets but to me the sting in the tail is if they don't sell the tickets they have to make up the balance I mean that's a big big uh, ask and one of the pieces I read online was an example for say the down in Beira on the Beira Peninsula there are six clubs in Beira so the six clubs if they all had to sell 50 tickets each that would be 300 tickets will have to be sold in the Beira area. Now that would, for the Cork County Board, would make €30,000, which is a nice sum indeed. But for the actual clubs, that's a big ask to go out on a, in an area. It's a small enough area to have to sell that many tickets because it's each of the clubs have to sell the tickets. The seniors, the clubs have to sell 100 tickets. The intermediate have to sell 70 and the junior have to sell 50. And every ticket priced at €100 Euro each that they don't sell, the clubs have to pay that money to the Cork County Board and I'm, I take it that not many of the GAA clubs have a lot of money at the moment. I'm sure they all doing their own bit of fundraising and, you know, there's a lot of lotto draws going on and a lot of those, of course, are not going on because of the pandemic as well. So I take it, is this putting pressure on a lot of clubs? As I say, we've just heard from Michael, who was with Glen Rovers, who's really, really annoyed uh, by it. So we give it out to see are there other clubs because it's every club across Cork County that's been affected by this. So your thoughts welcomed on that if you are in a club or do you see where the county board are coming from? They need the money. It's the right thing to do. It's a fair way to do it that every club gets allocated the tickets and everybody has to go off and sell them between their own members or they I can't say that they can go out knocking door to door. I'm assuming that they can't do that in the middle of a pandemic. But could they be could they ring people to try to encourage them to buy uh, tickets? Is it the fair fairest way to do it that everybody uh, chips in or is 
can you see the more rural, the clubs in the more rural areas are going to find it much, much harder. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please. 1850 Someone else says this is on COVID. What is wrong with people? It is up to all of us to have responsibility, especially over Christmas. I had a family member who had COVID and believe me, it is a horrible horrible virus. The tiredness is still with that person. People need to cop on. And this is to do with people who are trying to say we need to lift restrictions, we need to get out out and about. Or as somebody said yesterday, if we are going to open up the country for Christmas, has somebody told COVID-19 that they need to go on holidays for the two weeks of uh, Christmas? The virus is still going to be there. And Heidi's been on. Say morning, Patricia. I had a text from my sister-in-law in the UK to say she was posting my Christmas card. Seems to be posting it a bit early, but it seems that on the news over there in the UK, there was a report that there's a big backlog in Ireland's post. I can't say I've heard of that over here, says Heidi. Do you know anything about it? And and I don't, only that we spoke about on um, post, was it last week, certainly earlier on this month, we spoke about how busy the postmen and women are. They are they've been real unsung heroes throughout this pandemic because they certainly have stayed working. And since the lockdown came in with a lot of shops closing, a lot of shops, as we mentioned earlier when we were talking about Green Friday, have gone online and they're posting the items out. So it's putting a huge amount of extra work and extra parcels and mail on Post's way. And the on post Workers are working weekends. I've had posts on Saturday. Some of them are working late into the evening. There's just been a huge amount of extra work for the postal service. And I know, as I said, I think it was last week, the week before, on post was saying that they are they have seen an unprecedented surge. They've seen an increase of a hundred and thirty percent on the number of packages. That's just on packages, that's not letters. A 130% rise on the number of packages it delivered in the height of the Christmas season compared to last last year. And we're a month out from Christmas that a lot of people have, haven't even you know, taken their packages yet to the post office. So if they're already seeing a 130% surge, you can imagine what it is going to look like later on as we head into December. And there was a number of queries on social media from customers who were giving out about late packages. And I know one post was saying to people, look, you're really just going to have to bear with us on, on this at the moment. And that they they say, this is up on the on post website, they say that the collection services are operating as normal while parcel deliveries are taking up to two days within Ireland. And that's not bad. That's not bad. And they say if there's going to be any change, uh, they will let uh, people know. But you can expect delays. I don't know how many people have noticed that. Are you having delays? Are you waiting on a package? Have you waited in a long period of time? I think all of us just need, I think exactly what's been said there by on post. Your patience is much appreciated. I certainly went yesterday to the my local post office. I was sending a parcel to Australia that I normally try to get 
into the post by the first week in December but I had it all ready to go so I said I'll get that underway yesterday and then I had also a parcel that had to be sent to the UK that normally I would never be sending for Christmas at the end of November but I decided you know something I might just stick it in the post in case there will be uh, delays and I also then because I've been so organised this year with the lockdown and nowhere to go and nothing to do even though I wish I had nothing to do but anyway I got organised with Christmas cards early this year so I decided I'd get the Christmas cards for the UK had the stamps and all got at this stage so I popped them in the post as well haven't done the Irish ones yet I think it's a little bit too early for that but I suppose it is a cautionary tale if Heidi is saying that her sister-in-law in England is saying that they're talking about backlogs in post because if we are seeing 130% surge in this country you can imagine what the surge is like in the UK as well so if you do have items that you are planning to send to loved ones overseas and we know that many people who traditionally would have been home for Christmas are not going to be home for Christmas this year. Uh, maybe if you have the presents got or you know what you're getting are you hopefully waiting if you haven't bought it yet you're going to wait for the shops to open next Wednesday. Soon as you have those parcels ready I would be suggesting heading along to your local post office and get them into the post we're better off that they arrive early that they don't arrive until because it's a huge disappointment if they don't arrive until after Christmas so I'd get working on those 1850 our lines are open Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Celebrate a real Cork Christmas Find out more at corkcoco.ie On Kildallery Community Development they're holding their weekly lotto draw it'll be this afternoon at 4 in the community office with a jackpot of €1,300 and Pieta House is encouraging everyone right across the country to choose hashtag hope over silence this Christmas by placing a candle in your window at 7 o'clock tonight and it's to represent hope instead of moments of silence they're urging people to call a friend talk to a family member or a housemate and join in the social media hashtag hope over silence conversation it's to help us all feel connected this Christmas Cork today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 2103 OK a couple of people reacting to this new draw by the Cork County Board asking all of the local clubs to sell tickets. Senior clubs have to sell 100 tickets. Intermediate clubs have to sell 70 and the junior clubs have to sell 50 tickets. They're 100 euro a ticket and the tickets that they don't sell, the club has to pay the difference to the Cork County Board. People are saying it is so greedy of the GAA. Others are saying how can they expect club members to go out? We are in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Traditionally people would have called door to door to try to sell those tickets. That can't be done anymore. And John is in North Cork. He says he's on a pension he is a huge GAA supporter and would always have supported draws and whatever but he says 100 euro sorry says John way too much to expect for a ticket particularly when we are so close to uh, Christmas actually we're going to pick up on this and look at it in more detail uh, tomorrow on the programme just uh, for people because uh, we're not going to get enough time for it uh, today because I don't want to let the programme go today without uh, speaking about another one of those a brave 
cervical check scandal warriors who sadly passed away uh, yesterday and it was uh, Patricia Carrick and it's it's the, only this week we were speaking with Stephen Teep on the programme because of what's happened with the tribunal and the, the 221 plus group who represent the women that have been affected and their families have been affected by the cervical check scandal walked away from the tribunal because they weren't being listened to and I was speaking with Stephen uh, Teep on it and Patricia Carrick for some reason came into my head because the last last photograph I think we've seen of Patricia Carrick was captured by her uh, son and it was just that stunning photograph. She's lost all her hair. Uh, she very obviously looks like a cancer patient but it was just it was just one of these stunning photographs of a moment in time that her son took and as the family and Patricia herself agreed for the photograph to be released a number of weeks ago because she knew she was dying. She knew her days uh, were numbered and she had expressed a number of wishes before she died and one of them was that the Taoiseach Micheál Martin would apologise to her and she wanted the apology in the doll on behalf of the state because Sir Vitalcheck had missed her cancer. And when the apology was made just 24 days ago, she was so unwell at the time that she was back in hospital and at that stage she wasn't expected to last very long. Only her devoted husband, Damien, who had asked Micheál Martin to make the apology just days previously, uh, could be with her. Uh, she was described as tears streamed down their faces as they watched Micheál Martin read out that apology. So it was one of her last wishes and, and she did get it. She did rally then uh, and the family were able to spend a little bit more time with with her over the last week or two but that precious time finally ran out in the early hours of yesterday morning. Uh, hours later after she finally slipped away surrounded by her family at her home in Galway. Her distraught husband and father of four paid tribute to his sweetheart and this is just worth giving a mention. Uh, he wrote she is the love of my life. We've lost a wonderful person. I'm heartbroken for her family and mine and our extended family and our friends. Our journey now takes a different path, one with Trish by our sides to guide us and to give us the strength to live our lives to the full, exactly as Trish would have wanted. Good night, my sweetheart, my Trish, my lovely wife and wonderful mother until we meet again. It's just... So heartbreaking it really is and speaking on the floor of the doll yesterday when Micheál Martin was told that Patricia Carrick had passed uh, away he said he spoke again of Patricia he said whose death is a stark reminder of the ongoing and devastating cost of the cervical check scandal and Micheál Martin says I wish to convey my deep sadness at the passing of Trish Carrick whom we lately honoured and spoke uh, of and he went on to offer his sincere sincere condolences to Damien and to the children and actually Michael D Higgins our president is actually a friend of the family and he says it is also appropriate at this time to think of all those who were failed by a system in which they had trusted and uh, their loved ones so may she rest in peace the the gorgeous uh, Patricia Carrick and we think of Damien and her four children uh, today it'll be a tough tough uh, Christmas for them and I just hope there's a lot of that picture that stunning picture of Patricia's back in in all of the papers as I when I heard it yesterday I was thinking that picture will be shown again and it's in all, all of the papers again today but I'm just hoping that because the focus again is on the survival uh, check and you know and we've here we've here we're losing another one of those warriors who battle so hard that you know this might just put the focus again on the tribunal to please listen to the likes of Vicky Phelan and Stephen Teep and, and the other women and the families that have been left behind listen to them listen to what they want from this uh, tribunal and for once and for all get it sorted so that these families 
and many of them, you know, some of the women will survive and please God, many of them will, but some of them won't and the cancer comes back and when it comes back, uh, it's, it's a terminal diagnosis for them. They need to be able to draw a line, a line in it so that they can live out whatever time they've left with their families without having to worry, worry, do they need to go back into court? Is it going to be adversarial? Are we going to be on the steps of the High Court? That's the last thing that these women uh, need. 1850 We're going to take a break. We will turn our attention to pet questions. And uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us if there's one of the animals in your household feeling unwell at the moment. You've got a query. Get it into us, please. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And can I say a huge thank you to Sharon and the gang at Park West Flowers in Mallow who've delivered a most magnificent Christmas wreath and the smell of Christmas, which I absolutely adore, uh, filling the room. It really is magnificent. Uh, it's to celebrate my 30 years on air. Thank you for that. It is really is much appreciated. And it's... Uh, when I saw it arrive, I was thinking, oh God, that is the beautiful wreath, not realising it was for me. But it, they, I think Christmas wreaths make gorgeous presents and it's a timely reminder to remind you to don't forget your local florist shop. Most of the florist shops are small, independent shops. Many of them have been closed during the last six weeks of lockdown, even though a lot of them have been managing to stay going by doing, you know, click and collect or telephone service. I know Sharon and Park West has certainly been doing telephone and doing click and collect but all of those flower shops will be open again please God next Wednesday and I think flowers make wonderful, wonderful gifts and great gifts for Christmas if you're scratching your head about trying to buy something for somebody that you don't know what they like some flowers are a Christmas wreath like that they really are beautiful and Anne says Hi, I, this is people who are thinking of maybe a charity gift for Christmas uh, just donated some money to the RNLI they're fundraising for a new lifeboat for Clifton that hopefully will be delivered in 2022 you get your loved one's name printed on a panel of the new lifeboat such a beautiful and useful way to remember somebody isn't that lovely and donations uh, start at 30 euro that's from Anne thank you for that Anne and then another listener's been on to say a just received a scam call claiming to be from Amazon saying my order was ready my order which cost 300 euro and if I needed to query this please press 1 and obviously the listener doesn't have any order with Amazon at the moment but they're banking on the amount of people that do have an order with Amazon and that's what they're hoping is going to happen, that somebody will click one. So well spotted. So that's another scam purporting to be from Amazon. Uh, we're still looking for your charity calendars, by the way. If uh, Get your charity calendars into us and we're doing our best to give as many mentions as we can to charity calendars because we want people to try to support their local charities if at all possible the ones that have been really really affected uh, this year and I did a bundle of them last week including one from the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind who just do gorgeous calendars every year and actually another one of the Guide Dog calendars has been dropped out out to me from Richard Dempsey in Mallow to say he has them on sale in Mallow now normally Richard would be selling them I've bought them previously at Tesco you know they'd have a little stall set up and they'd be selling them I don't know if they're allowed to do that or not this year but you can contact Richard if you want to buy one of the Irish Guide Dog calendars they're €8 Euro each and they're also selling beautiful Christmas cards uh, for a pack of eight for €6 Euro. and you can contact Richard on 087-748-7555 and as always if you haven't bought your Christmas cards yet do your very best to try to buy the 
the charity ones, please. OK, let's turn our attention to animals because Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon. And you're very welcome. Let's get straight into questions coming in. Jane, for Jane, please. I have two kittens. They're now 10 weeks old. Would it be okay to leave them at night in a shed? They obviously have been indoors for the last 10 weeks. Is 10 weeks okay to leave them in a shed? Mm, I'd I'd be a little bit concerned. At 10 weeks of age, they'd be roughly the equivalent to a very young toddler in humans. Um, and I think they're quite sensitive to temperature at this age. Like any young animal, young human, we have less fat reserves, so we're less able to deal with changes in temperature. Now, cats are very good at finding a nice warm place to hide. However, it is cold at the moment, and the colder weather is only going to get colder over the next few weeks. With these little kittens that they've been inside, um, I really would be very reluctant to start putting them out to a, a colder temperature area like a shed at the moment. Now, if the shed is really nicely heated, very cosy, lots of places where they can kind of scamper off and, and hide in something nice and soft. And, and that's a different story because the temperature should be quite quite nice overnight if it is well insulated. But if it's, let's say, into an outbuilding or something like that, I'd be really concerned, particularly if they've been initially brought up in a kind of nice, warm household environment. It's going to be quite the shock to the system. And, and it's officially cold tonight, for example, there's a, there's a very hard frost forecast. Exactly. I I always use the rule of thumb of if I wouldn't like to sleep outside in it, my animals shouldn't either. Um, <laughs> so I think really just kind of common sense should prevail, really. And I think okay. it's a little bit too cold at the moment. All right. And then Breathe is back to us from Mallow. Breathe says, here I am 15 days after getting, remember the feral kittens neutered? I've yes. kept them in the spare room and all was fine until the past three days. Now the kittens have stopped eating no matter what I offer them. They actually look as if they're a bit depressed. Could that be possible? Should I try keep trying to get them used to being inside or would it be kinder to now release them back outside thanking you for any advice that's a tough one mm, that is a tough one um, if they've had a recent operation um, and they were recently neutered and they've all of a 15 days ago sick, 15, 15 days, days after ago. it's yeah. a little while ago now so I would be thinking that any after effects of the surgery should be well gone but what I would say in any post-surgical patient is if you are in any doubt Contact your local vet um, and if he needs to see them or she needs to see them, then that may be the course of action you need to take in any animal, particularly cats, for them to just stop eating all of a sudden. There's usually something amiss now. It may just be behaviourally that they want to get out and about and they're a little bit frustrated being kept inside and that's potentially what's going on here. Um, And that's most likely what's going on, given that it's a good while after the surgery. But I think in any post-surgical patient, you always just want to rule out the biggies of, let's say, um, post-op infection, any kind of wound breakdown. And cats will be cats. They do like to pull at their, let's say, wounds and incisions. So they can be a little bit tricky to manage um, post-operatively. So to be totally honest, in this situation, um, I would contact your local vet to have kind of a more in-depth discussion about it um, and see if they need to be seen now in feral cats. Uh, there may be a limit to what you can do with them if, if they are let's say, a little bit more wild uh, and not so tame um, and they'll be the best judge of that because they will have had them in for the op and they'll know how, how feasible it will be to, to examine them conscious. Because it, cats traditionally, no matter how unwell they are, it's very rare they go off their food, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. If I have to go off its food, it's, it's either very upset with something in yeah. this environment or it's uh, been quite sick. And it could um, be so that they're just missing the wild. It could It could just be that as um, well. A little bit, I suppose, environmental change for them. However, after kind of a good 
after a week or two inside, they should be kind of adapting. Yeah. Animals are incredibly adaptable creatures. So I would, in this in this instance, my first instinct would be just make sure you're ruling out the biggies of any kind of infection or illness with them. It could be totally incidental. It might be totally separate from the surgery or from being inside. But I think it's really important just to make sure that their health is okay. Before yeah, because I remember further. one, I remember Breda last week telling us one was getting very friendly and she was able to rub it, but the other one was still very scared. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, exactly. good luck with it, Breda, and keep us informed. We're following with great interest because she got on to us a number of weeks ago saying she was trying to trap them and how she and you'd given her advice on how to trap them and she's yeah. she's done great. It's a terrific thing that you've Absolutely. done, Breda. It really is. Okay, Mary says, we have a male puppy, five months old. It's a cavishan. Impossible to toilet train. Any tips, please? We have had uh, training pads in two places. He keeps making his business where he pleases. I'm pulling my hair out. Any advice, please, says Mary. Okay, Doug. Um, what age did we say this little dog was it again? It is five months. Five months. Okay. All right. So if we're five months, we should be getting to the point where they do have a reasonable amount of kind of conscious control over their bladder. So they know when they need to pee and they should be able to hold it for a little while um, if they know it's in an inappropriate place. Now, that said, animals don't really have full control of, let's say, being able to hold a pee when they know they shouldn't um, be peeing somewhere until they're about six, seven months of age. Uh, so sometimes it might just be that you've been caught short. But from what you're saying, it sounds like you're really trying very hard and really making a good attempt at the toilet training. But it, you know, you might have a particularly difficult, uh, a particularly difficult puppy to train on your hands um, from that perspective. What I would say is it might require a total change of direction. If you've been doing the puppy pads and that's not been working out for you, that works really, really well for some people. So the, the general idea is that you get them to, to pee on the puppy pad and you slowly move the puppy pad towards the back door and then outside so that they, they know their smell is on that um, or their smell is on the one that's been changed that day and they know that that's kind of their place to pee. So you can kind of move that as you need to gradually more outdoors. Now that works really, really well for some dogs, not for others. In this situation, I'd be suggesting a total change of tact. I'd be inclined to take the puppy pads away, except for overnight when you're inside just to clear up any accidents. The main thing to do is if there are accidents inside the house, make sure they're cleaned really, really well with a pet safe cleaner so that all of the smell is gone. Because if they can smell even the tiniest hint of their own little scent on that urine, they'll think, right, this is my place. I will pee here. Uh, And they think they're doing the right thing because they've done it before and they'll do it again. Okay. I think the best thing to do is to take the puppy pads away apart from overnight to clean up the accidents and start taking that little puppy outside super, super frequently. Now, I know we mightn't all want to go out in the, the bitter colds that we're experiencing, but uh, I'd say put on the woolly hat and scarf and, and just get outside. With this little puppy, if it's feasible for your lifestyle, I would suggest bringing this little puppy outside for a little run in the garden every hour at, at a minimum at the moment. And when they do, by chance, do their peas and poos outside, you need to make the biggest fuss of them ever. Just make sure like they know they are the best little dog you have ever seen in your life. Um, make a big fuss, lots of treats. And then the most important thing is don't bring them inside straight away after they've done their business outside. Because to them, in their minds, then they signal, they think, oh, well, if I pee and I poop, then the fun ends because my owner brings me back inside. Make sure you play a little bit with them for, for, let's say, two or three minutes outside after they do their business and then pop back inside nice and calmly. But I really think the main thing with toilet training is perseverance. And it it sounds like you're trying really hard with the public pads and trying to persevere with things. Um, But perseverance is really important. 
Um, but also giving the puppy the chance to do it right as often as you can is really important because a lot of the time, the more times they get it right, the quicker they'll toilet train themselves. So the more you can get them outside to do their pees and if you can get them peeing outside more frequently and if you can really stick to trying to do it every hour or two, um, then you, you might find change of direction and not using the puppy pads and just going outside might suit this particular puppy a little bit better. Okay, it takes a lot of patience, but he'll get there. He'll get there eventually. Yeah, okay, absolutely. and what can you? What would you suggest giving a kitten six months of uh, six months old? It seems to have a problem with its sinuses, runny nose, and sneezing. What would you suggest? Oh goodness, it sounds like this little cat might have a cat flu. Um, so cats are really interesting in the sense that when they get a bit of a head cold, very much like ourselves, they can get a runny nose, lots of sneezing. But very interestingly, with cats, it can get runny eyes as well. Okay, they can sometimes get an eye infection at the same time. With this, it sounds like you will need to attend your vet for a full physical exam. It might well be if your vet decides you may need antibiotics to treat this. So you may need anti-inflammatories. It really depends on how severe the symptoms are. Sometimes they blow over, but I think if it's sticking around for more than a day or two, or if your cat is in any way unwell in himself, I would really recommend a visit to your vet for a full assessment. Take the temperature, full physical exam, access the extent of the sneezing and the gunk coming from the nose and they'll be able to get you some appropriate treatment. So this isn't one I'd, I'd sit on. I'd, okay. I'd, I'd attend and your back for this. Yeah, one. and an antibiotic hopefully will sort it. Okay, Jane, have a good week. We'll talk next Thursday. Thanks you for too. that. Bye bye. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. So that's where we wrap it up for today. A reminder, it's copyingheritage.com if you want to watch that um, the, documentary on the Kilmichael ambush until tomorrow 10 o'clock thanks to Bernie and Sadie we'll talk at 10 a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.